Hello, I'm Bill DeMay, Executive Vice Chair for the DC Young Republicans, and this is the District Download. Welcome back, everyone, to the District Download. I'm your host, Bill DeMay. Today is episode 22 of the podcast, and boy, do we have a great one for you today. So before we get into it, I just want to say, keep sharing this podcast with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way. We've got folks from all over the Eastern Seaboard and beyond who have been chiming in um, with, with comments about the podcast, as well as even getting guests from outside the Eastern Coast. So we're, we're appealing to other folks out there. Uh, who may not be in the DC Beltway. But for this episode, we're returning back to the Beltway for, again, a very sp a special guest. Uh, make sure you also check out our, our show's Instagram account at District Download. Um, once we hit a certain level, we'll eventually get up there working on a Twitter account and even a Facebook page. But that, again, is incumbent upon everybody, you know, following, liking, reviewing, everything like that. I can't stress that enough. So before we go into today's guest, just want to do our usual disclaimer the views and opinions expressed during today's episode are our own and no way represent the views opinions or policy positions of our respective employers this is meant to be a free exchange of topics relevant to yrs based in the dc area and beyond now without all being said i'm happy to announce that matthew foldy journalist at the washington free beacon and vice chair of the montgomery county young republicans is here with us today uh, a little bit about Matthew. He is the previous Rapid Response Director at the Congressional Leadership Fund, also former president of the Montgomery County Young Republicans, former Illinois College Republicans Chair, former president of the University of Chicago College Republicans, and proud graduate of the University of Chicago, uh, class of 2018 in political science. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Foldy. Thanks so much for having me on. It is a privilege and an honor to join you guys today. Yeah, so before we begin, I just want to ask, is this your first full-length interview you've had since appearing on the Ruthless podcast? It is. So, yeah, we've got you for about 45 minutes. So Let's go. Uh, we're going to be giving you a little bit more than your typical five minutes with Foldy. We're going, to get to, <laughs> we're going to get to really know you, and we're going to really get to know some of the things you're working on. So uh, let's get to know you. Tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself. What should folks know about the man, the myth, the legend that they see on Twitter and beyond, the real Matthew Foldy? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, I think the main thing is I'm just a regular, not normal, but regular dude. Um, and I, I love getting to know people. I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy politics so much that I wanted to, you know, do it as my job right out of college and why I love journalism now. I think one of the things that really brings me a lot of joy in what I work on is talking with normal people. I believe fed up about the insanity that they're learning in schools, or whether it's the story I was working on this week about a Jewish food truck that was shut out of a Philadelphia festival. I, I interviewed one of the partners of the truck earlier this week, and the, the food truck was canceled from it. They ended up shutting down the entire festival after they uninvited this Israeli immigrant. And his partner was telling me the outpouring of support from the Philadelphia community, Jewish and not Jewish, was absolutely you know, beautiful. And uh, hearing, you know, just telling stories is something I really like doing now that I've decided to join the dark side as a journalist. Um, but I think that's sort of the main thing. I, I'm a regular person and, you know, I, I, I love people. I love chatting with people. Um, very proud lifelong Marylander. And um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess for the rest of the, you know, 43 and a half minutes, we can talk about uh, the rest of things that that are important to me. But that's that's the main thing I think I'd stress is there, there's no legend here. I'm just a regular guy, uh, you know, like everyone else. And like everybody else, you're wearing today a, a tie dye a button up with a baby Yoda shirt on. So you are truly, truly a man of the people. So that, that's where I'd say I may be a little bit less normal as uh, I think fashion is overly policed and, you know, you should just wear what makes you think you look good, not what other people, you know, want you to wear. Exactly. I like to say, go march at the beat of your own drum. Who cares yeah. what people think? And yeah, be I, genuine. Yeah, be genuine. Be honest. There's a lot of fakeness in this town. And I think being more genuine helps bridge connections, which we'll be getting into in a little bit. So I want to know, can you describe that moment or series of moments that led you to fall in love with politics in the field that you're currently in? Uh, was it something that you came upon accidentally? Uh, does it run in the family or has it been the one thing you wanted to do since day one? Well, growing up, I think like every kid, you know, I wanted to be a paleontologist, um, learn all about dinosaurs and all of that. That was my first profession that I wanted to do. Uh, then after that, I shifted my career goals to uh, what I wanted to do more than anything was work at the Congressional Aquarium store in Rockville. I wanted to work at the fish store where I got all of my pet fish. And I wanted to just like help people, you know, with who, who love fish like I do. Uh, it's, fish are somewhat infamously the reason that I became a vegetarian when I was nine. And I've always, you know, I just, it's even now I, I go there and it's one of my, one of the places where I can go to like very much decompress. Uh, after that, I realized I wasn't going to sell fish professionally. Um, I think that at that point, that was when uh, I started realizing that I was very interested in politics and I dabbled in politics in the 2008 election. Uh, you know, I'm dating myself here uh, on election day. I was very adamantly for John McCain and my very liberal uh, polling precinct in Bethesda. I was handing out, you know, brownies trying to get people to vote for Republicans. Then 2012 is when I really started uh, getting interested for that cycle. Uh, in the interregnum, obviously, we had the Tea Party kickoff in 2010. And uh, then by 2012, though, when I was in uh, ninth, 10th grade, um, I was really, really active. Uh, my dad was working in the Senate. He would sort of drag us at first involuntarily, but then I would just willingly metro down to the NRSC and phone bank after school. And then, you know, moving along for the rest of the cycle, more phone calling, more door knocking in Maryland. Then by 2014, when I got to college uh, in Illinois, I started there in September and I was... I knew, I knew Bruce Rauner was going to win the Republican running for governor. He was going to beat the incumbent Pat Quinn. And I did everything I could. I volunteered on that campaign, volunteered on a bunch of things more remotely before, you know, coronavirus made that a trend to do. And then by 2016, I had worked for Rubio in Iowa. And then I ran for office myself and I became the youngest elected official in Chicago history. At age 19, I was elected ward committee man, uh, which is a position my grandpa had held in the same ward. So, you know, that was that was pretty cool um, to, you know, fulfill his his legacy. Um, then by 2018, I was working full time for Rauner. Then by 2020, 
I was for the for the last cycle, I was rapid response director for the House Republican Super PAC. I spent one month in Israel working as rapid response director for my aunt's campaign. She ran for Knesset in the first of all of the elections that have now led to Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. And uh, after the 2020 election, I thought, you know, being a journalist may be kind of interesting. And I started at the Free Beacon in January of this year, and it's been such a blast. I've loved this publication since I read it in high school. It's sort of irreverence, but also hard-hitting reporting was something that was very formative to me uh, as a conservative reading it in high school. And the opportunity to work here felt like something I just could not say no to. And the people here are the best in the game, and I'm a firm believer in our mission. So that's what led me uh, to, to sitting with you right now uh, today. Well, it sounds like you're certainly living the dream, and you've had quite an evolution from, you know, animal lover to paleontologist back to that real quick jurassic park thumbs up thumbs down i actually i think jurassic park 3 was a very very hidden gem i think michael Crichton is one of the best writers out there it's obviously he died way too young but i try and i really hate fiction but every time i get a michael Crichton book i read it i mean everything he writes is just it's unbelievable he is he's so talented he writes about you know, time travel to the like car rivalries between America and the Japanese in the 80s to obviously Jurassic Park. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, it's hard to read the books and watch the movies and think, oh, we should totally do this. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think we should like definitely try and, and do something like that. I think that would be pretty cool to, to bring the dinosaurs back. Like four-year-old Matthew would be very happy to see, you know, an Allosaurus walking around. Yeah. I, I remember having those those you know books as a kid of the dinosaurs as a kid and you know you're right Michael Crichton he's a he's a brilliant visionary he also wrote Westworld as well which was yeah. a movie and an HBO show people forget there was a movie that was done oh, a horrible time. movie I actually watched horrible. that movie on election day 2018 because when you're doing comms on election day there's not that much to do you know there's very much a diminishing return so I was phone calling texting and whatnot to Illinois voters but in the background, I was playing the Westworld movie on my Kindle, just watching it as I was, you know, being like, hey, have you guys gotten out and voted for Rauner? Uh, I watched Westworld. The TV show is so much better. And it's yeah. not even close. This is the first season, at least, you know, a few. That's fair. That's fair. And I would say I, I'm living my dream. I'm not, you know, everyone, everyone has their own path that's right for them. I don't have a, a prescriptive, oh, you must do this, this, that, or the other thing. Like, I, I'm very happy with where I'm at right now. But you know, it works for me, what works for you. Uh, you know, it's not what necessarily works for everyone else. And you've had a front seat to history too. I mean, you know, working on all these different campaigns for the past decade, volunteering and everything like that, you've really had a front row seat to history, which, you know, I, I think is really remarkable as well. Um, so moving on a little bit, um, you know, you said you're a lifelong Marylander. Have you always lived in Montgomery County? Uh, you know, and follow up to that. When are you moving down here to join us down here in D.C.? Okay. I, I, I mean, I lived in Chicago for college and I lived in Israel for a bit uh, with my high school and when I was there for, um, for my aunt's campaign. But I've always lived, I mean, in Montgomery County and Maryland have always been my home. Um, I, I mean, realistically, I'm never moving to D.C. I'm, I, you know, people have tried ever since I moved back um, in 2018. But I love, you know, Maryland. And the only reason I would ever look at D.C. is just because of the 
you know, the ease of commute. And now that I'm back in an office and not work, you know, not working remote commuting sucks, but I, I love being in Montgomery County. I'm, all my friends from high school are there from growing up. Um, friends I've made from doing politics in Maryland are all there. And, you know, I'm in DC five days a week now. So I think the need for me to move here is less. Um, and, you know, Montgomery County is so well positioned as a place where it's easy to live and work there. It's easy to live and work in DC. It's easy to live and work in Frederick County. Um, so <laughs> I have, I'm still, I'm still living in Bethesda. Still living in Bethesda, still living. But I'm always happy to hang out with you guys. Yeah, well, thank, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we always love having visitors come join us here in the city. <laughs> He's that bias, of course, crossing the river to see our friends over in Arlington being a whole nother universe. Of I know, it really is. It is. It's, it's, it's like a magical barrier of sorts. Um, so before kind of going into the next section, just out of curiosity, why Chicago of all places to go to school? Curious to know about that. Was that because your father, your grandfather ran for a the seat that you eventually ran for the the last part it, it, that was not really why I wanted to go there but it gets to one of the important reasons why I wanted to go there which was I have so much family there so um it was and I growing up my my grandma lives on campus of the University of Chicago basically she lives one block away from there so growing up I actually would spend tons of time at the University of Chicago I did tennis camp there I walked around its grounds I met Vermin Supreme there he smelled very bad <laughs> and uh, I mean, he literally like wears garbage. I mean, I wear weird things, but he wears actual trash. And, and he was there protesting the Milton Friedman Center of Economics right when it was uh, when the groundbreaking ceremony was happening. And I'm like, this guy's crazy. Um, and he was wearing many ties and he's wearing a boot. And he, he had a megaphone with a bumper sticker that said, like, prosecute the one percent or arrest the one percent or something like that. A very friendly guy, but I mean, complete lunatic. And uh, so it was actually the familiarity that I had with UChicago was one of the reasons why I didn't want to go there for a while, because I was like, oh, you know, I want to go somewhere that I'm not super familiar with. But by the time college apps rolled around, I applied their early action, got in early action, and then dithered, uh, didn't commit to anything. And then when I was in Israel with my grade, because my school uh, is a Jewish school and it went to Israel, all seniors go to Israel together for the second half of the year. So I was in Israel, called my mom. She denies this. This happened for sure. I called her. I said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about it. It's the day apps are, you know, decisions are due. And I said, hey, I think I'm going to do you, Chicago. You know, totally noncommittal, even though, you know, I have to make a legally binding decision by the day after. And she said, great. You know, I'm so proud of I deposited there three days for you, three days ago. And I said, what if I wanted to go to University of Maryland? And she said, you were going to go to you, Chicago. It was always obvious to me. Wow. Uh, so <laughs> such is the life of having a Jewish mother. She, she always knows best. Uh, but I loved it there. And, uh, I loved it because my family was there. You know, I could see, I, you know, saw my family basically every day of the week, uh, and especially for Shabbat, our whole family would come there to my grandma's. And I, I really love the school because it's one of the only ones and I write a lot about this now as a journalist that actually believes in free speech at all, believes in any sort of academic freedom. I think higher ed is, as an industry, is taking a huge step back from basically fulfilling any utility. You know, you go there, you get indoctrinated, you leave, drowning in debt, and you struggle to find a job. You know, what, what in any other situation, you would look at, you know, what you're paying for and the horrible return on investment you get 
And you would think, wait a second, why am I paying for this? I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to me. UChicago continues to make me very proud as an alum. No school is perfect, obviously, but I write a lot about the insanity of other colleges, of law schools, of K through 12, of all of that. And UChicago continues to impress me. Uh, one of the stories I wrote about them, for example, was the Chinese Communist Party has a student wing called the CSSA, and there's a, um, a branch of it at the University of Chicago. And this is sort of what China uses to replace the Confucius Institutes that have been shut down rightly across the country. And UChicago is one of the first to shut down their Confucius Institute on grounds of academic freedom. But the CSSA uh, demanded that our graduate school uninvite Nathaniel Law, this Hong Kong freedom activist who was jailed for being a pro-democracy guy. And they said, you know, that, you know this, this is triggering, this hurts our feelings. And it was fascinating seeing that Chinese communist activists were using the exact same language of American liberals to try and cancel things. And, you know, the event went on without a hitch. You know, you Chicago wouldn't have thought for a second, oh, we should cancel an event because some literal communist activists are trying to make it a big deal. So I went there knowing that they have a strong position on free speech. And then I had, a, but more importantly, that my family was all there. Yeah. I mean, holy family values, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah no and I, I had no intention of running for office. I, I actually, when I got called, I was very involved in Illinois politics, but I voted in Maryland in 2014, even though I was in uh, Illinois, I voted for Hogan. And I was volunteering for Rauner, but I mean, I was not going to vote for this guy. I was day one with Hogan. So in the opportunity to vote for this guy in my first ever election, I was never not going to vote there. But when I got a call out of the blue from the Chicago GOP chair in 2015 or so, and he said, hey, you know, there's a vacancy in your ward here. Would you consider running for ward committee, man? I was like, absolutely not. There's no way I would do that. I'm, I'm voting in Maryland next year. I'm registered in Maryland. I'm not going to do this. It took a lot of, you know, phone calls and meetings and whatnot for them to say, please, we need you to do this. Um, you know, you can register in Maryland after all of that. And I thought, okay, you know, the opportunity to, you know, with a couple of people in between, succeed my grandpa in the fifth ward as committee man would be awesome. I'm really glad I did it. Running for office is actually a lot of fun. I think despite what a lot of people would sometimes have you believe. And it's insane doing it in Chicago. I mean, I had within my Republican primary, the Democrats put in a fake candidate to try and siphon votes away from me, who was a complete fraud. She had the worst ballot signatures our lawyers have ever seen. Like there would be entire blocks in our ward that would have surreptitiously the exact same handwriting. It was very sketchy. We took her to court and said, you know, we'll continue this case or you can drop out of the race. And she decided to drop out. So I did what Obama did, disqualified all my opponents based on uh, signatures. <laughs> he did that to first win office in 2000. And uh, I won. I ended up winning, winning on a post. But it was an absolutely wild experience campaigning in Chicago for myself after I had done it for Rauner in 2014. And in 2016, I was doing it for Mark Kirk, the senator at the time as well. But hey, I was sharing a ballot with Kirk this time. It was, it was a fun experience. So I'm glad I did it. But, uh, you know, once I moved back to Maryland, I registered back in Montgomery County because um, that's where I, I believe my vote matters more in Maryland than in Illinois. That's great. That's it. That's, that's really great. You know, just kind of 
story of how you got involved and you know how your petition to run and everything like that. But I want to carry along that that vein. So you know, talking about journalism as a profession, right? So I've got a, a few questions for you um, about journalism as, as a profession. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to break into the journalism field, but didn't go to like one of these swanky journalism programs that are out there uh, that specialize in teaching folks, you know, how to do journalism or someone who just doesn't mean laughter, just kind of fit the mold of say your typical journalist, say for like the Washington Post or something like that. I, I mean, my main advice is don't go to journalism school. Um, or don't major in journalism, major in something useful. It's like majoring in education and going to be a teacher. No, major in biology, major in math, major in history, major in something that's not the industry, right? I mean, political science is what I majored in in college and it was one of the most useless things I could possibly have to go leave college and then go do politics. Like every textbook is written in the 1970s and you know this sort of important invention called the internet has happened since you know, poli-sci chair who assigns his own books for us to all buy, you know, wrote his thesis as a grad student in the Vietnam War. Um, yeah, don't study, don't, don't, don't major in journalism and definitely don't pay, you know, 60,000 to get a one year, I think a one year or whatever, two year, one year, whatever, MA in journalism. Like the only thing that journalism school does is um, further make you a leftist and, you know, sure it'll like connect you with the CNN HR department so you can get hired there. But I think most of the people listening to this or most people who would ever think I have any wisdom to offer in the journalism realm probably aren't going to go, you know, to CNN. So I, I think it's, it is a very important role for, to, to exist. I mean, I thought when I decided to become a journalist, Democrats had taken complete control. They had, they, including the Senate at this point, this is in January. I started end of January and I thought, you know, the media is going to take a nap for at least the next two years, if not the next four years. And it's been astonishing. I mean, the mainstream media would set its hair on fire over every manufactured scandal during the Trump admin. And they are just completely MIA now and i thought okay this is a cool void for me to step in and fill because someone's got to cover the biden ad and it might as well be me so i think that in the same way of people who want to get involved in politics i would say don't study political science because nothing can substitute actually working in politics nothing substitutes learning how to be a journalist quite like doing it yourself and i'm cognizant that that's not you know the easiest thing necessarily because journalism jobs it's not like a campaign where in a campaign you can walk in and say hey i want to knock doors for you guys you can't really walk into even a mainstream or even a far left outlet and say hey i want to be a staff writer i want to be you know an editor i want to be whatever you do need um at least some background and in my case my background as a journalist i i hadn't written an, a straightforward news article since high school uh, but here they said, you have basically everything else that's great for a journalist and we'll teach you how to write. So, I mean, my colleagues here, my bosses here have been unbelievably patient and helpful, but there's nothing stopping you if you want to become a journalist from just starting to put your own writing out there, you know, make your own blog if that's what it takes, but you can 
quickly assemble a portfolio that you can then take somewhere with a lot less, lot less time and money spent than going to journalism school where you'll be taught that the only thing you need to do as a journalist is carry water for the DNC. I, I think you're much better served putting pen to paper metaphorically. And by that, I mean, typing it out and yeah. posting somewhere, but that that's, that's what you should do. There's no reason there's, I, I really can't see a benefit to a J school thing. And I think the, the exceptions don't prove the rule. If you're, if you want to get started now, just get started, you know, and if, if you feel like you're missing something, come talk to me, come talk to someone in the field. And I mean, most of my colleagues here, most people I know in conservative media in particular, have never set foot in a journalism class. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think there's a lot more talent in conservative media than in liberal media. And I think the idea that you need this credential is very outdated, especially now that, you know, I mean, I, I can do it. Any, I can do it. If I can do it, you can do it too. And if, you know, people have questions on that specifically, I don't have too much insight. But uh, I'm happy to be a resource. Fantastic. So walk us through a little bit about your experience at the Free Beacon thus far. You've only been on the beat for about six months or so right now. Um, and you've really been, you know, leading the charge on a few key stories that have been out there, as you said, you know, doing, filling the void of where most folks in the media have been relatively silent. Um, so if there's a few stories you want to highlight for us, feel free to do so. I know you've been on doing some great work for folks who may or may not be familiar with your writings. And also too, people have been saying you deserve a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, do you think that's 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 you know valid? Uh, I know that people have been crying out to make that happen. That's a funny second question, which I'll just quickly say first. It really, I, I'm never gonna get one. And the reason why more to do with the Pulitzer Award. And I think the minute that organization gave Nicole Hannah-Jones, a Pulitzer in history for pseudo-history, it, it just lost any sort of bearing, right? If you are giving an award in something to something that is the complete opposite, you've been completely taken over by the left. So I don't think I'll win a Pulitzer. I don't think, and we know, you know, all of the conservative journalists who did unbelievably important and impressive and uh, dangerous work covering the riots of last year, of course that, you know, they're as likely to win one as I am because, you know, conservative reporters don't exist in the minds of the more elite journalists, right? If you're out there reporting on what Antifa is doing in Portland, you, you know, no matter what you do, it will never be recognized by the same sorts of outlets that would recognize the most mundane and stupid liberal reporting. So I won't win one and no conservative journalist will win one. And, and that's fine because I, I didn't become a journalist to win these swanky awards. And my fellow conservative reporters didn't enter journalism because they want, you know, these prestigious awards that are given out to reporters who can damage the most Republicans and help the most Democrats. Um, and your first question was about interesting stories. I love elevating regular people's voices, but I think it's also other stories that I've liked doing are about covering things that are uncovered or less covered. And the reason why I say that is because growing up as a Republican in Maryland, I remember in 2014 
Larry Hogan's governor's race. I knew we were going to win. And I knew we were going to win because my friends from high school who were absolutely not Republican were calling me and saying, hey, you know, I'm just learning about Martin O'Malley's rain tax and his lieutenant governor is the Democrat running. This is crazy. I, you know, I need to talk to you about this guy, Larry Hogan. Is, is this someone I can, I can vote for? I said, absolutely. You know, and so when I have liberal Jews from Montgomery County telling me I'm voting for Larry Hogan, liberal first time voters who are voting for Hogan, I just knew anecdotally, all right, we're gonna win here. And, and yet, absolutely no coverage about Hogan as a possibility, which made him the biggest upset of 2014. You know, the only thing that would have been potentially bigger would have been if Ed Gillespie had beaten Mark Warner, but we won and he didn't because Maryland was better than Virginia. And uh, so on election day, Nate Silver, another U Chicago alum, gave Larry Hogan, guess what percent chance of winning? I'm putting you on the spot here. Guess what chance he gave Hogan? I'm going to say, I'm going to say probably, you know, 6% chance. I am 99%. I think it was 6%. I think you were right on the nose there. 6%, which is insane, right? Like Huffington Post gave Hillary a 99% chance of winning, but even less crazy outlets gave Trump 30%, I think, in 2016, which means it's winnable, but they you know, wouldn't bank on it or whatever. 6%, 6% for Hogan, because we were just a complete afterthought. Oh, you know, this state always votes for Democrats. Maryland elected a Republican governor in our lifetimes, in Bob Ehrlich in 2002. And 2014 was clearly going to be a great year for Republicans, but Maryland was a complete afterthought. I spent last cycle at the House Republican Super PAC in an election year so dominated by Trump and the Senate, and everyone was like, oh, the House, you have no chance of winning anything. Actually, you know, we were forecast to be at in the 170s of seats, but we're five away from the majority right now in the House. So I like looking at things that people care less, less about. Uh, I think that's in part because I grew up as a Republican surrounded by Democrats. To that end, though, that means there's a lot of big things that people are not covering, namely anything negative about the Biden administration. So one of the big things that I've been doing a lot of covering is the energy department, because I think it's the biggest conflict of interest that has been reported in the Biden admin. My colleague, Colin Anderson, and I were the ones who first broke the story that the Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, was currently sitting on stock that she valued between one and $5 million in an electric vehicle company called Proterra, okay? We broke this story uh, in April. She was a former many years board member of this company. She quit the board prior to joining, uh, right, right after joining the admin. And she said she would sell off her stock. Okay, great, whatever. She's selling off all of the other assets she needs to sell because when you join the government, you have to sell off a lot of your assets to avoid conflicts of interest. Right. But she did not sell Proterra. So we write the story about how Biden himself is touring Proterra with the National Economic Advisor, Brian Deese, while Granholm is continuing to own between one and $5 million of stock. Biden visits this company, go figure, its stock price goes up because it just got a presidential visit. Three days after we break this story, Granholm and the CEO of Proterra speak on back-to-back -back panels on an international stage provided by taxpayers through the US State Department at the Climate Leaders Summit. The Biden admin thinks that they are totally above the law here because they think that no journalist will care. And they know that Republicans are out of power. So 
you know, members of Congress can throw rocks at them, but at the end of the day, who cares? They don't have any real power. They can just shout about things. And finally, Granholm did sell. She netted $1.6 million. She sold this stock days before the company became public. She sold it to an undisclosed private buyer. We have absolutely no idea who gave her this. We don't know how much she netted 1.6 million. We don't know how much she received for the stock. For all we know, that private buyer could be her husband. It could be Hunter Biden. It could literally be anyone. It's it's sort of similar to how Hunter is now selling all of his art for to private anonymous buyers, which is basically just money laundering um, for not very good art. So this sort of conflict would normally, I mean, it's it's not a counterfactual. We know when when Ivanka Trump held up Goya beans, it was like a five month investigation by House Democrats. When Granholm is enriching herself and her colleagues in the admin are helping her do so, no one cared. CNN wrote about it once. Three weeks after we did it, they failed to disclose, if I recall correctly, that she's a former CNN paid contributor. Uh, Politico did a smattering of stuff, but it's all it's all written in deference to the people in power, where, whereas obviously that deference was never given, nor should it have been given to it when Republicans were in power during the Trump admin. So it's, it's a great time to be a conservative journalist because the entire mainstream media is either doing nothing or they're asleep at the wheel. I guess there's a third option also with sort of the Glenn Kessler, Leroy Jenkins fact-checking, <laughs> where um, you, know, you see Tim Scott's family tree scrutinized and then this week they basically say nothing about sheldon whitehouse being in a whites only club you know if if i mean we know if sheldon whitehouse were a republican he'd be crucified already but because he's a democrat no one cares i have a story in the works about that right now we've been covering that exhaustively this week and every you know liberal outlet mainstream outlet they whitewash it. They, no pun intended. They, they, <laughs> they can't see wrong when Democrats do it. And you see this even with something like Axios, where they described the country club as elitist. Yes, it is elitist. That is accurate. That is, that is true. But it only lets white people in. One of its members described, longtime members described its policy as Jews, yes. Jews, Jews maybe. Blacks, no. Something along those lines. This is insane, right? It's elite. Sure, it's elite. But the, the way that the the deference is given to Democrats is, I, I mean, it is astonishing. It'll make all of our hair go gray if we spend too much time thinking about it. So do the job that the rest of journalists don't. And it's an amazing time to do it. I don't want to, you know, sit back here and self-pity. I love it. It's so much fun because we, we get, you know, the, the, uh, the sky's the limit here for us. And that's true on a political side, you know, that I now don't work on the sky's limit. You know, if I'm a Republican operative, I am incredibly optimistic about taking the House, taking the Senate, flipping the White House. You know, the sky is the limit because the Dems are overreacting on just about everything. I don't even remember what your question was, but it's a great time to be a conservative journalist. And and I'm not I'm not bitter about, you know, how biased the media is, because now I'm sort of in a position to at least try and do something about it. Yeah, and it's a great time to be a skeptic too. Hold those in power into account. Try to pursue the truth. You're over there at the Free Beacon right now, making noise and doing the actual job of what journalists are supposed to be doing, and that's getting after the truth and getting after the story. Um, you know, there's only one truth with a capital T, and you know, you're in deep pursuit of that. And well, uh, you're kind of say that. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm trying. I'm trying. 
I think the work you've been doing is, is absolutely remarkable. And you've already mentioned that the stories that you've been covering, um, you know, and you've already t- you know hinted at a story coming up later this week. So, you know, we look forward to that. But again, just just great work all around um, with with what you're doing in the Free Beacon, uh, restoring the profession as it is. So uh, I want to just jump back a little bit to talk a little bit about um, community. So going back real quick to, you know, how did you get first involved with the YRs? So when I was in high school, I went to a Jewish school in Rockville, we're talking about great school, not a conservative school at all. And it was very important for me to be politically active. You should be very active in your community. And when I was, when I was first getting involved in politics, there were no TARs, there were no teenage Republicans. So I immediately joined the young Republicans as by far the youngest member, because I was, uh, you know, what would I have been like 15 or something. And the other YRs, as we know, are usually a- after college, right? You, you do TARs, you do CRs, then join YRs. But I was very, very young. I was not even able to drive anywhere at the time. I didn't have my license. Uh, and my parents bribed me to go. They would like, I'd be like, I want to go to this political event. They'd say, only if you go to driver's ed this weekend. And I'd say, okay, fine. And then they'd take me. Um, so the YRs and my county GOP and my state GOP were huge, huge assets to me as ways for me to be involved politically and involved in my community. So I joined them as soon as I found that they existed. And then we would do everything from parades. I love parades. They're so much fun to door knocking, to phone banking, to hanging out, to happy hours. And it became an immediate friend group for me outside of my friends, you know, from school and extracurricular activities. I would drag my friends to YR activities. I would really infamously drag them. They, they still are like, oh yeah, I remember when you took me to that parade or that fundraiser or whatever. And Maryland is very democratic, but again, you know, Republicans are still competitive. Montgomery County is very democratic. I would say, look, I mean, Hogan almost won my hometown of Bethesda in 2018. I'm not saying you know, we're gonna turn Bethesda red, but there are more Republicans than, than people would realize there. And it was always, what I loved about getting involved is I would go to places in my own home state that I wouldn't really even think to go to. Uh, otherwise, I went to a gun range and I've been shooting since I was growing up at my grandma's house in Indiana, but I didn't even realize we have Gilbert's gun range in my own county in Maryland. I didn't even realize that there was a gun range in Montgomery County. That's crazy. I, but I was just there last month, you know, uh, but I first learned about it when I was there for a fundraiser during Hanukkah uh, for Dan Bongino when he was running uh, in Maryland's sixth district in the 2014 cycle. So you meet a lot of fun people. You could, I mean, like yourself, I wouldn't know you if I didn't do politics. Um, so the YRs was always a great outlet to get out there and do something. And campaigning is a lot of fun, especially when you're doing it with friends. And the YRs is such an important way of making those friends. So that way, when you're door knocking, you guys are also hanging out. You know, it's a fun way to spend an afternoon as opposed to making something feel like a chore. So as soon as I found that my county GOP, you know, had its headquarters and had whatever, um, I was all in. And I, it's been, it was always, it's just, it was so much fun. And I would try, try and make my other friends come. And some of them stuck with it. Some of them became Hogan staffers in 2018. Um and others, you know, they found out it wasn't for them, but politics isn't for everyone. Right. You know, as, as you mentioned, like, you know, why ours? We, we work hard, but we also have fun while we're doing mm-hmm. it. But also to add to that, as what I've kind of spoken to with other guests on the podcast is that we're a community as well. And, you know, you are one who is, you know, epitomized the importance of community just with your involvement with the YRs in Maryland. 
Shout out Jackie Saxton and all those folks out there who are listening who are Maryland YRs. Can't forget about them. But also too, you know, just in terms of you know coming back from the pandemic, um, you know, community has never been more important and refining and rediscovering those communities. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, just finding your community, you know, tell us a little bit about one community that you may be more famous for than your involvement with YRs, and that's the Minions. Tell us a little bit about Minions. Who are they? What does it mean to be a Minion? And what are some of the things that Minions do uh, together? <laughs> Great question. So Minions of Comfortably Smug on Twitter. Smug is one of the only reasons why I feel like a lot of people have stuck with Twitter uh, through all of the shadow bands, through all of the outright bands, through, through, through it all. Uh, Smug has been one of the funniest accounts on Twitter ever since I joined and going back even further. He is an anonymous account. He has a podcast called Ruthless that's great. And he is just, he's, he's brilliant. And I became his assistant randomly in 2019. He just, I'll give the backstory here. So I love fantasy football. I've loved it ever since I started watching this TV show, The League, which is my favorite TV show ever. It's unbelievably funny. And yeah, it's a show I'm about a bunch of- commissioner of my league. So I, I, I roll with an iron fist. <laughs> See, I'm a bit gentler because I have so many leagues at this point. But um, The League is a TV show about a bunch of dudes in Chicago who do fantasy football together. And that doesn't sound hilarious, but it's unbelievable. So I've loved fantasy football. And when I moved back to DC after graduating college and after working for Rauner, I had my friends from high school, but I didn't really have other friends in DC. Obviously I had Maryland folk uh, who were great. You know, it was great to be back with them, but I was working in politics and I was like, I, I don't have too many friends in Republican politics. So I DM smug one day and said, Hey, you know, I think you'd be in a really good position to, make fantasy football leagues for minions, you know, for your fans, it's very hard to explain if you're not already a minion, but you should follow him if you don't. And um, he said, yeah, I totally agree with you. You should do all the work. I'll share it. You know, I'll retweet your stuff. And then, but you need to do all the work. And I also, he's like, by the way, I hate fantasy football. <laughs> and that, that happened only after several times of me pestering. I was like, we should do fantasy football. We should do fantasy football. And he's like, okay, fine. If you do everything, I said, okay, fine. Happy to do it. I, I love fantasy football. I had no idea what was about to happen. You're a workhorse, so. <laughs> well, you usually are if you're in conservative politics, um, you know. And so I said, all right, you know, whatever. If you want to do comfortably smug. And I came up with top minion. I said, I think we should call this top minion fantasy football. Because if you win, you're the top minion of the league. And he hit retweet one time. And immediately, immediately my inbox overflowed. I've never gotten this many DMs in my life. Now it's sort of how I operate on a daily basis, but he hit retweet and people from all walks of life were like, I want to do fantasy football. So I made like 19 or so leagues the first year. And it's only gotten more and more in the years that have come. And you were in one, I, you were in actually multiple sports for this. So I want, I want to get your take on it, but what happened for me as the commissioner, you know, Todd Gurley is going to go first, Christian McCaffrey is going to go second, blah, 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 right? It's going to be the same thing every time. And that's boring for me as a commissioner of all of these leagues. And I said, okay, I'm going to do two things differently. I'm going to blow up the rosters and I'm going to blow up the scoring system. And I'm going to make drafting weird. I'm going to do it, you know, some of them were at 4 a.m. And some people did stay up for them. I, I don't even understand, but they did. Yeah. Um, 
And so right from the bat, right from the bat, we had leagues with five quarterbacks that you need to roster, which do the math. It's impossible. These were all 20 team leagues to make it as crazy as you can be five quarterbacks. You can't do it. Some had no wide receivers. Some had three wide receivers. And in almost all of them, I had IDP, which for the true fantasy football players, they know it means individual defensive players, because going back to what we were talking about earlier, sort of giving attention and scrutiny and whatever to lesser known things. I think defensive players are hugely important. I'm a Patriots fan. And, you know, our defense was the strength of our team in some of recent years. And outside of Stefan Gilmore, former defensive player of the year, people may not know other key parts of, of our team, right? You know, you may not know, maybe, you know, JC Jackson, but you know, you probably don't know that we also have a cornerback called Michael Jackson currently on the roster, not the singer. And, uh, so, but I would also, then I would do things like 5,000 points per touchdown, 3,000 points per year, you know, crazy things like that. So the scoring would be 190,000 to 180,992. You know, I mean, these would be crazy high score. You, know, you would get more points in one fantasy football game than you would get in your lifetime of fantasy football outside of one of my leagues with Smug. So I had, you know, 19 of those. I would change up all of my lineups. It would be crazy because in some leagues, I'd be like, I want Drew Brees to do really well but I need him to do really poorly here. So I was like constantly, like my mind was in total knots doing it, but I love it because I'm crazy. Um, and so we did fantasy football and then it was such a success. I said to Smug, hey, something I think could be awesome are, what if we do minion trivia nights? What if we do minion bar crawls? He said, great, yeah, you just do all the work, it's fine. So I would you know, set up where we're gonna do it. And same thing with fantasy football. He hits retweet, my DMs blow up. People are like, oh, I wanna come, I wanna come, blah, 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 whatever. And uh, for the first one, I had no idea what to expect, right? Um, I'm saying, we're going to do this. We're going to go to Jack Rose. We're going to go to Shenanigans, which is now, it's a pilgrimage in DC to do these things with us. <laughs> but I didn't, even, I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, a bunch of anonymous strangers from the internet are going to meet up with me in a bar, and they're going to want to hang out. What? That's not, that, that's, I'll be by myself. You know, I'll be John Travolta walking in. Like, where is everyone? It was unbelievable. We had like 29 people show up and ever since then we've been doing bar crawls obviously that took a hit during coronavirus so i said okay smug how about i do virtual trivia and he said great yeah you do all the work i'll share it and and he's great i mean i love smug he, but you know he wouldn't want to assemble a virtual trivia because let me tell you something no one should want to assemble virtual trivia because i had to try and come up with questions that people couldn't just immediately google which is much harder than you think so i was delving through you know fact books that no one owns to try and get enough for trivia. So we did that. And then during coronavirus, we did movie night watches together where, you know, we'd all press play at the same time. And then we'd all live tweet movies together. Now that coronavirus is over, even in liberal enclaves like DC and my county, Montgomery County run by a communist dictator, Mark Elrich, uh, it's over everywhere. It, we've been able to, a couple weekends ago, we did our first in-person, uh, bar crawl event. It was, it was so energetic. So somewhere along the way, I don't know exactly when, Smug tweets out, you know, direct all inquiries about whatever it is. I don't even know to my assistant at Matthew Foley. Again, my DMs blow up. So, at, and I was, I was like, I have an amazing job. I'm rapid response director at the largest super PAC in world history based on amount of money raised. I'm his assistant. What? <laughs> I, don't, I, I have a job. And then I just rolled with it. I was like, all right, whatever. I'm his assistant. It was fine with CLF and it didn't matter. And just planning events after work with a bunch of Republicans. And uh, 
so yeah, we're coming up on almost two years of me being his assistant. Uh, probably at some point this summer is when summer 2019, I think is when I gained that title. And he's just been an absolute pleasure to work with. He's one of the smartest people I know. And uh, now that COVID is over, we will be looking forward to basically resuming all of this in-person stuff, just like we did uh, before this uh, plague was unleashed on us, probably by a lab in Wuhan. Right. And we've been doing the same exact thing. As yep. And you guys have awesome. I mean, I'll, I'll vouch for your events. They're awesome. Yeah, we had a happy hour. We had our first membership meeting the other week. Uh, we're, we're back into it. I'm going to plug it later on. But before uh, you plug it, I, I want to I want you to share your experience doing smug fantasy sports. Yeah, no, it's 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 a crazy time. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm much of a traditional user, uh, traditional league member in terms of, you know, you know, you've got one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers. And literally, it's my mind boggling. God, that sounds so boring. Yeah. So, you know, you know, spice it up a little bit and everything. Like that. I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to fantasy football, but these. Well, leagues, you are a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, we're nearing time. So uh, Matthew Foley, uh, whichever you'd like to be called. <laughs> uh, I want to be called much worse than both. Yeah. So uh, whichever you prefer to be called, uh, I want to give the floor. I want to open up the floor for you. Um, anything want to let our listeners know about things that are coming up, any uh, projects or announcements, any shout outs you'd like to give the folks listening, uh, to the podcast? Well, I, I would give you a shout out for doing this. I think it's so important to get voices, you know, you're, you're basically a journalist yourself in, in this role here, right? You know, you're, you're interviewing people and you're sharing stories and, you know, sometimes that's all you need, you know, in, in any piece by a journalist. So I've been so excited to do this podcast ever since you first told me about it. So that is awesome. And you guys, you know, the DCYRs are doing incredible work. My county YRs, as you said, my, my president, Jackie, is doing incredible work in Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, we've really had incredible leadership under our chair, Maria. Uh, I, I would just, I'd give a shout out to all your listeners. You know, it's, it's tough being conservative, being Republican and being young. We all know that. So don't be deterred because it's awesome. Being Republican, being conservative is cool. And people say it, it's, it's, I think it's a bit overused sometimes, but we're sort of the counterculture now, especially with Dems and the wokes and all of that controlling basically every institution. Sometimes it's cool to be a rebel. And uh, yeah, so I just give a shout out to, to, you know, to, to everyone. I, I don't have a specific one, but you guys in DC are doing very important work in particular, just to make sure that Republicans who work here are unified in terms of keeping our eyes on the prize, which is hopefully the House majority, you know, Senate majority, White House. Well, thank you for the kind words. We do what we can. We do uh, the best we can as well. So uh, with every guest, I like to put them in the hot seat and do rapid fire. So I am I'm telling you, you're a journalist and you don't even know it. Yes. So, so these are just fun questions just to kind of get your take. They, but I like asking him because, you know, he gives it everybody, uh, you know, uh, kind of a standard to like, you know, based on uh, interest and stuff like that. So are you ready? Let's do it. I don't know if I'm ready, but <laughs> I don't have a choice. Let's do it. All right. In no particular order, uh, song that you last played on your Apple Spotify playlist. I'm a Spotify loyalist. I hate Apple music so much. Uh, it actually was a new country song, Beer With My Friends. For obvious reasons you know that's i think that's what we all want at the end of the day obvious reasons favorite fast food chain 
Taco Bell, hands down nationally. And then there are a bunch of sort of local or Taco Bells. Like when I lived in Iowa, there was this great one, Taco John's. But Taco Bell is awesome. It's great as a vegetarian place too. Uh, that sort of limits what I eat at fast food restaurants. So Taco Bell and then Chipotle. Favorite bar in Cumberland County or DC? Favorite bar has got to be in Montgomery County, Caddy's. Awesome place. In DC, shenanigans. All right. You already answered this, but I want to hear it again because I'm a Patriots fan. Favorite. I know you are. That's how we became friends. Yeah, that's how we became friends. Favorite baseball team? I would say from Maryland, I, I don't really care about baseball that much. I'm Nationals. My family's all Nationals fans and then Orioles, but it's not, it's not my passion. Favorite monument or place or spot in DC? Um, ooh, that's a good question. I would say shenanigans. <laughs> uh, last movie you saw in theaters? And that's like five years ago at this point. I think it was, uh, I saw Ford vs. Ferrari with my dad. And which is last, like classic, classic dad son movie. Exactly. Gotta love it. And finally, uh, post COVID vacation plans, or have you already gone on your post COVID vacation? I've definitely been, once my grandparents all got vaccinated, I was back to normal. So my first one was Florida, great state of Florida, free state of Florida. Um, I'd love to go back to Israel, though. Good deal. Well, you survived rapid fire. So, well, but let's just stress, though, favorite football team is the New England Patriots. I don't want to, I don't want to bury that lead here. I mean, you know, I respect greatness. Uh, obviously, we need like nine years of therapy to discuss the Tom Brady situation. Um, but I, I am still a Brady fan. You, you know, we share a birthday. So, uh, you know, I'm always rooting for him. But if he ever retires, I'll be back to to sole New England Patriots fandom. But I will concede I do have a bit of lo dual loyalties. I, I loved when he won. The joy that him winning a seventh ring brought me was, I, I mean, the man is a, he's a legend. We are, you said at the beginning that you and I are living through history right now just because it's weird times. We are living through the, the truly the greatest of all time. What he's been able to do with no off season, no preseason, brand new scheme, working with Bruce Arians and not Bill Belichick, working with people he's never played with. Remember, he didn't even have, I guess maybe he didn't have AB until the middle of the season. He did bring Gronk out of retirement, but basically he hadn't even played with any of these people ever. Right. And then, you know, he struggles a bit in the regular season because at the end of the day, I think he is human. I'm not actually sure. Yeah. And then winning a Super Bowl, he coming in as a wild card, winning the first home team Super Bowl, beats every single division champion, including the Saints that crushed him in the regular season. He annihilates them, then goes on, oh, it'll be a changing of the guard. You know, Mahomes must beat Brady. And this does show how important defense is. I mean, the Bucks defense is unbelievable. But they annihilate the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I loved it. I loved every second watching Mahomes run around behind their tattered offensive line and having like Njokum and Sue come back from injury on the Bucks absolutely ravage their offensive line. I loved it. I mean, Mahomes ran for like 500 yards in the Super Bowl and they scored nothing. They scored no touchdowns. You know, uh, oh, I was amazing. Oh, un unbelievable. But I'm very excited for the next season of New England Patriots football. I, I, I love Cam. He and I, you know, he, he respects style like I do. Um, but he wears things I don't think I can never even pull off, but I, I love what he wears. I love his enthusiasm. And, uh, but I am also very excited about Mac Jones and excited about bringing back the two tight end offense. I don't think either of our current ones are murderers this time. Our defense is coming back. You know, we got Hightower returning. 
I think we're the best team in the AFC East, no doubt. I think we're probably also the best team in the AFC. We're just the best team all around. Music. We're the best team. I, I'm not looking forward to the Brady Patriots game. I think week four or five of this year. I, I honestly, I'm not looking forward to that. And as long as the Patriots don't play the Bucks in the Super Bowl, uh, I'm fine. Music to my ears. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Living that moment. It was a great Super Bowl. It was a Patriots Super Bowl by proxy this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. after the season we had, you know, not making the playoffs for the first time in forever off a couple of those heartbreaking games like the Newton Bills game. That was horrible. But uh, yeah, it was it was so nice, you know, cheering on Tom, cheer, watching him and Gronk win another Super Bowl. You know, it felt like everything was back to normal because I'll, I'll I'd be remiss if I didn't point out. The world went to shit the day Brady announced he was leaving. Like that was the day that like lockdown started and all of this. So watching him win was sort of a, an order is restored. You know, everything is going to be OK. Tom Brady is still winning Super Bowls. Uh, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. That's, that's it. God, you know, God bless Tom Brady. Thank you for all he's done for New England. And that's right. He's the beckoner of good times. So uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the show today. Uh, Matthew Foldy, it has been a pleasure. I have loved every moment of this interview. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. And before we let you go, I just want to plug for our members and our listeners that this is your last chance to buy tickets for our summer soiree this weekend it is this sunday june 27th at dockside due south dockside down in navy yard 1 to 4 p.m buy your tickets down they will go up at the door they're at 35 dollars right now 40 at the door get them now matthew will i see you there i respect a man who is on message and yes you will i will buy my ticket as soon as i hang up with you you heard it here first folks matthew foldy will be there Come join your fellow YRs. And as I said before, we're a community. Let's get back. Let's celebrate the start of summer. It's going to be a great one. So again, thank you so much. Share the podcast, subscribe uh, for our weekly episodes and give us a five-star review and look forward to seeing you there. On behalf of the D.C. Young Republican Executive Board, we thank you for listening to the District Download. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, give us a five-star review, and share this episode with your friends. The District Download is currently available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts.